investors just invest and they don't really help, even though they say they're going to help, they don't actually, everybody knows this, that's real, right? They don't actually help. These are wealthy people. They've got better things to do. They've given you some fraction of a percentage of their overall wealth. They're betting on, you know, one out of nine working anyway, which is ridiculous and what I'm trying to solve. <clears throat> and so, you know, you don't, you just don't get the help you need. And so, you know, when I go into these businesses uh, as an investor, you know, I say, okay, let's start out with where you are. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back, Money Talkers. I have Greg Shepard here today with me. Uh, Greg's a serial entrepreneur, an author, a speaker, an angel, angel venture capital investor. Uh, he's built some massive, massive tech companies, sold off, and, uh, and, and is doing some great things to help change the world these days. But he's a big investor uh, with some big ideas, and we're going to dive into some fun stuff today. So, Greg, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, I know that you have uh, the CEO and founder of Boss Capital Partners. Like, let's uh i want to dive into what you're doing now and then kind of how you got there so what what is uh what does that do so what i started out with actually i have to go backwards to go forwards okay so <clears throat> when i did my last few exits i got to the point where i didn't really need to create income anymore and so i decided i was going to go into politics and i did that for a little while and uh, worked with some congressmen and congresswomen and uh you know it 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 was just, it didn't feel like I was making any direct impact. I, I didn't feel, feel the payoff that I needed to feel, feel when I was contributing. And so I decided, I was at the beach just meditating and I said, you know, I built this thing, BOSS, which stands for the Business Operating Support System, this framework that I had used on my, on the 12 companies that I've built and sold and then also my investments. And I was like, I, you know, I think I, this is, this is what I can do because I can help with wealth distribution. Uh, I can help really cool innovations come to life, um, make millionaires, and move the country and the world forward through these innovations and through wealth distribution. So I decided I was going to do that. And then I started writing about it and speaking about it. That's how I picked up the Forbes uh, book contract, um, a lot of speaking events, and then all of the different articles have been published you know, everywhere. And when I was doing that, I started to find that I started to get all these entrepreneurs sending me their deals, you know, so what we call in, in investment world, the deal flow. And it went from, you know, 10 to about 200 a month. And I started looking at these things and I was like, man, I got to, I got to put together some funding. So what I did is <clears throat> I had a couple of deals that I had done with 
another friend of mine, there was just two of us investors. Now there's 27 of us. And we had done a couple of deals together. And then other people were, you know, just came organically to me through, uh, you know, I would go, you know, be an advisor on a board or have, you know, just help somebody for a friend. And then I started uh, Boss Capital because that way with the deal flow that came in, I could choose the deals that we wanted to do and actually provide the financings also. So then I was able to help these entrepreneurs, you know, and also provide the financing to, to a limited group of them. And that's how Boss Capital actually came about. Well, that is a big onion that I want to start peeling on, man. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's head back into um, when you talk about being able to uh, fund entrepreneurs and to be able to put these deals together and fund deals through Boss Capital. First of all, who's investing in these type of things? And I don't mean specifically, but I just mean like kind of, um, yeah. you know, what type of person uh, does that? And then also when you're looking at the companies to invest in, what are some of your criteria? So you have like, you know, you have pre-seed, seed capital, series seed, series A, series B, and so on, right? And so we work in the series seed area, right? So after they have a, a product and market buyer validation of some form, right? We work right in that space and then we move forward. I do help um, through things like this and uh, speaking thing engagements and webcasts and all the other stuff. The other entrepreneurs, but there's a lot of incubators and accelerators. Um, so <clears throat> I didn't feel a, a, like there was a, a, a real need for that. It seemed like the need was from series seed forward. Um, what kind, I got of, that what because, kind of dollar amount would you consider to be in a seed situation? Like where, because you kind of said like there's incubators, which is kind of like formulating the idea, right? Yeah. So ideation, uh, the ideation stage. So there's, there's basically five levels in the life cycle of a business. So you yeah. start out with ideation and this is where you just have an idea, right? You're just trying to what, you know, shape your idea. And there's a lot of incubator and accelerators and university programs and stuff like that, that how help these entrepreneurs, you know, refine their idea down to a pitch deck. And then they have to go pitch it and try to raise capital. And that's where angel investors get along. And then there is, and that's sort of like that's pre-seed and then seed is after they started working on the product and they, they, they're past pre-seed, they're past the deck, they're past their first round usually, and they're working on a product. And so and then just for my listeners, like what, and so in pre-seed, when they've got their, their, they're basically have come up with an idea and then they kind of figure out like the business plan, I guess, is what they're doing with the pitch deck. Yeah. Right? The deck. Yeah. yeah. And then they're coming to somebody and they're saying, Hey, uh, we need, what, I mean, what kind of dollar amounts are these guys asking for? 500 grand usually. I mean, they're small, the 250, 500, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then when they go into seed capital, you know, the rounds are usually pretty close, 500 to a million, you know, sometimes 250 in that range. And then when they get into series seed, it could be from 500 to 5 million uh, in that range. I typically will do smaller rounds like 500 to a million in a series seed round. And that's because the entrepreneurs 99.9% .9 of the time don't know, you know what they're doing with regards to the financial side of things. So they over raise mm -hmm. and that's dangerous for a business because the more you raise, the more you have to sell for, the more you have to sell for, the more you have to raise and you get caught in this circle. Yeah. And then you can get beyond the, the level of where the company can actually exit for. So <clears throat> when I start investing with a business, I want to sort of focus on, re, you know, 
reserving as much as we can in terms of the equity. So that means a smaller round until we know what we're doing and then do the larger round when we know exactly what we're doing. The mistake that a lot of uh, investors make is they, you know, you have the choice of betting on the, the horse or the jockey. And the problem is, is that if you're talking to an entrepreneur and they're trying to raise money, uh, that jockey's never ridden a horse. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't need you, right? Because yeah. they would have money. So <clears throat> you can't bet on the jockey. You have to bet on the horse, and then you have to help the jockey. Mm-hmm. And so that's where Boss comes in, where we help the jockey get through these critical stages with the framework, right? So that's one thing. And then you have to think about the second layer of it, which is there's two types of businesses. There are businesses that save money and there are businesses that make money. The make money is the businesses that take care of an opportunity, you know, and the ones that save money are solving a problem. So you sort of zoom in and you say, okay, well, right now in this economy, right, you're after companies that save money. I mean, it's a no, no brainer, right? And you know that your, your jockey has never done this before, so you have to help the jockey out. Uh, what happens most of the time is that they get through ideation and they get through and the investors just invest and they don't really help, even though they say they're going to help, they don't actually, everybody knows this, that's real, right? They don't actually help. These are wealthy people. They've got better things to do. They've given you some fraction of a percentage of their overall wealth. They're betting on, you know, one out of nine working anyway, which is ridiculous and what I'm trying to solve. <clears throat> and so, you know, you don't, you just don't get the help you need. And so, you know, when I go into these businesses uh, as an investor, you know, I say, okay, let's start out with where you are and then walk them through this. Now, I think it's important to back up for a second and tell you something that I've learned that, that's important for people. So for 25 years, I've been working on putting together Boss, the business operating support system. When I started to think to myself, okay, I'm going to actually give this away to people like an open source like open source code is yeah. what I was trying to do, right? Make it a contribution. Source. Yeah. And then allow people to, to, to give me their input. So mm. it still changes. I get input all the time and then I constantly change it. But for years I did, you know, thousands of interviews. I interviewed the Navy SEALs, the first fighting in the Air Force, firemen, police officers, manufacturing, software, engineering. I mean, everything, right? And what I was trying to find out is all of the different processes and mechanisms that they use in their, to make businesses work, right? In critical situations and startup scenarios and so on and so forth. And then I started to say, okay, well, let me figure out why businesses are failing. Why are these entrepreneurs failing? Because my goal was to help more entrepreneurs succeed. Our industry is the only one where 90% failure rate is acceptable. I mean, since it's ridiculous, right? I mean, there's no in industry in the world where they would say, yeah, 90% is okay. That's about average. And just accept that. I, I don't accept that. I think that, so I was trying to figure out why, like, why, why are they failing? You know, what is going on? I had to back up and I had to first figure out what stages they were failing, right? Mm. What levels, like we were talking about earlier, were they failing? at, And then why are they failing at that stage? And then build a process around how to resolve those issues. So it's stage appropriate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, and then, and I, you know, my wheels are turning thinking about that because um, you kind of mentioned something in there that you're helping the operators, right. And these guys that are entrepreneurs and they've mm-hmm. basically got money thrown at them to make a product 
And they're probably very, very bright people, I would imagine, because yeah. it's probably really hard to get a half a million dollars out of people if you're, you know, kind of a dodo. And so they're probably, you know, most of the stuff you work is in, is in, um, is in technology, right? Mm-hmm. I think when mm-hmm. um, I, had, I had read. And so you've probably got really, really bright people that don't, I would imagine, probably don't really know how to run a business. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's a matter of experience, not intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's where I'm kind of thinking in my head, my wheels are turning, like how it's so necessary that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're learning these advanced level educational things, just kind of tie it back into what Money Talkers is about teaching basics, you know, that, that you're actually able to use that and to, to, you know, basically have a path for them. Is that kind of, is that where you see your value coming in there? It sounds like that's what you're bringing in this operating system and yeah, kind of so, the way. <laughs> and they're yeah. super smart guys that can figure out super smart, brilliant things, but don't know how to handle, you know, the day-to-day operations of the company. Is that Yeah. I mean, well, there's a ton of people out there that talk about leadership. Mm-hmm. There, there's no, there's no blank space for leadership. These entrepreneurs can find that all day long. Right. <laughs> Um, and there's a ton of stuff out there like Malcolm Gladwell and, uh, Daniel Pink that talk about, you know, different aspects of relationships and analytical data and, and behavior and that sort of thing. Right. Um, you know, there's incredible books on negotiation and like getting to yes. And, you know, you have good to great. I mean, there's a lot of that stuff. What there isn't is something that says, listen, this is the, the basic framework that you can do to get your business through these critical points and get to an exit. I mean, my exits, you know, I can build and sell a company in three years, Mm. which is really fast, right? I think the, the basic thing is you have to start out with the end in mind, right? If you're taking investment money, the investors want to sell, right? So then you have to start out with who you're selling your business to. And most investors, they don't do that, right? And most investors, they just build the company, build, do this, do that, you know, and they just tell them to go forward. And that's because they're never operators. Yeah. And the fact is, is that, you know, when you do a, a, an acquisition that's based on some sort of strategic scenario, the buyer of your business has already b- built up their customers. So they've already absorbed that customer acquisition cost. They've already got, so they have thousands of customers. And here you are coming in and maybe, maybe you spent a bunch of money to go build up and now you've got 500 customers. They really don't care about your 500 customers. All they want to know is that your product can be sold to their thousands of customers. So <clears throat> what, what I do in Boss in the very beginning is what I call the North Star, which is where you identify what your company is, why somebody should buy your company, and you know, what your company and product is, why somebody should buy your company and product who is going to buy your company and product, when and how much, right? And this sort of sets what I call the North Star. It sets a directionally correct position for your company because you, it's not like you build a company and then you decide one day, okay, now I want to sell. And then you just sell. You have to have, if you've spent all this money building up all of these customers and then you go to your market buyer and they go, sorry, we have the wrong, we have a different ICP, ideal customer profile, then you just waste all that money. So you have to start out and make sure that the ideal customer profile that you have is the same as the ideal customer profile of the person that's going to be buying your business. That's huge, man. And that's one thing I think that, um, you know, I, and I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who don't, you know, use one of my favorite terms, begin with the end in mind, right? Yeah. So once you know the goal, you can back in a pathway to get to that goal 
And, but most people never stop and set that thing. And then also another part of that is, is like, what is important in your business to buy? Right. Cause every business is a little different. So, you know, um, sometimes it's the, sometimes it's the customer base. Sometimes it's the tech. So I'm sure sometimes it's the operating sometimes it's the people right in the business. And so what is the valuable portion of what you're going to be able to sell that business for? Because no one's going to buy a job. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's when you get into the fourth phase of, of boss, which is standardization, which is accountabilities and best practices where you describe how your business operates, not just for the buyer, but also to reduce the onboarding cost and growth costs of new employees and to make sure that you have standards so that you can do KPIs and do improvements and optimize your process. So we, we did just a, just a quick interjection of that. Cause I laugh because when we did our first organizational chart, we were like, this is ridiculous. I don't know why we're doing this. And we'd had the company six years and we figured everyone knew what everybody did and every stuff. And we made a chain of command and listed job duties on the side of it. And then we brought in a hundred employees and showed it to them. And they were like, it, I, the, the level of, discovery for us as the owners was unbelievable. It was embarrassing because they had no clue where to go. And the, the speed that took off after that was amazing. We, we couldn't believe the answers we were getting, you know, like, Oh, so-and-so does that, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it was, that, that's, that's amazing that you do that within, in that part of your, uh, in, in part of your assessment, because it's almost like a foregone conclusion that you think everybody knows what everybody does. And then you find out nobody knows what anybody does. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it, there's so much to it, right? I mean, there's a difference between understanding who does what, yeah. uh, then when they do it and how they do it. Yeah. Right. And, and so that is the standardization. Pro All this stuff is on my website too. So I've, I've made these in 60 second videos. So in 60 seconds, you can learn about these things to make what, it what's really the website easy. So people can go. Oh, check it's it gregoryshepard.com. G-R-E-G. O-R-Y-S-H-E-P-A-R-D.com. And there's a whole like, it, you know, I put a lot of energy into helping entrepreneurs. So I'm hoping that people actually, you know, get in there and, and use this stuff. There's articles, there's all kinds of stuff in there, even tools. Um, but yeah, back to your, your basis. I mean, so when you set a North Star, you know you're directionally correct because building a business is a year, you know, it takes multiple years to, to mm -hmm. build a business. So you can imagine it would be like crossing the ocean uh, without having the North Star, without having a guide. If you're one degree off, you're on a different continent by the time you get to the end of your road, which is what happens with businesses, Projector. right? They're building a business, they're building a business, they've got customers, the metrics, you know, the, the, the value driving metrics, growth margin retention seem to be good, um, but they haven't thought about attachment on a base. And that attachment rate is the difference between selling at a high multiple and a low multiple. Um, and, you know, everybody's so focused on growth, 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 that they forget that it, it has to do with the multiple. Mm -hmm. you know, so if you have a million in, in revenue and you get a 10x multiple, that's 10 million, right? But if you have a million, in, if you have 5 million in revenue and you get a 1x multiple, that's 5 million. Mm -hmm. It costs a lot more money to build a $10 million business than a $5 million business. So, you know, you you do the math, it makes sense to identify who's going to buy your business and build a business for them. You know, you, you choose what I call ideal buyer profiles. You choose three to five of them and you build a business for them or companies that meet their profile. And then you design it 
that way the whole time. I sold a business three months ago that had like $2.2 million in revenue for $48,750,000. So, and it took three years, right? And that mm -hmm. business was on the trajectory to just get, get customers all over the place and they would have burned so much cash and they wouldn't have been able to sell for as much. Yeah. And they would have been taking high amounts of dilution, right? So I think that that, I think that one of the things that I sort of layered in there quickly, I think your listeners should pay attention to, and that is that the value drivers of your business are growth and growth is that says that people want to buy your product mm -hmm. retention, which says that people will continue to buy your product and margin, which says you can do it profitability. Those are the big value drivers. The thing that increases your multiple or how good those numbers are and what I call attachment rate or what the industry calls attachment rate, which is how many of your customers or how many of the buyer's customers will attach to your product. So really when you look at it, your whole business is just a product to your buyer. That's all it is. So why would you build a product without knowing who your customer is? So why would you build a business without knowing who your buyer is? Mm. It doesn't, it's illogical, right? I mean, yeah. And you can't do that three years into it. So with your North Star principle, I would imagine also it helps with shiny object syndrome, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it definitely keeps you on the rails. Helps a little bit, right? So that yeah, would be yeah. saying, hey, if this isn't important to getting where we're going, let's not do this. Because that's, that's literally a business killer. Yeah. You have, yeah, I've got one of my portfolio companies right now where I have been struggling with the CEO uh, this guy has, you know, he's got the attention span of a fruit fly with uh, shiny object syndrome. So, you know, it's a constant struggle to say, listen, if it's not in the MVP, we don't build it. Right? <laughs> you need I to mean, get him one of those big, he's a big star, like one of those Christmas tree ones that goes on the top and just stick that thing on his desk. Be like, yeah. it doesn't go there. Just don't do it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people build unnecessary things because of a lot of reasons. One business I built and sold, or I was an investor in the CEO uh, was, you know, married to the product. It, it, the whole thing was the guy had this vision of the product, wanted the product, just, it had to be this way. That, you can't be married to the product. You need to be married to the customer. And if the customer doesn't like that product that you're building, then you have to build something else. You can't stay on the path of a product that doesn't look like it's going to work. And so this guy kept going that direction kept going that direction. And it, it took a lot almost going out of business for the guy to realize that you're building something that you want to build, not something that your customers will buy. Mm. You know, so we had to back down the product process and say, okay, let's build exactly what they want to buy. This goes back to the North star. How did you, you find that out? Well, we have an ideal customer profile, right? An ideal customer profile is, a series of information that you have about who your customer is, right? So you do these things called customer stories, which is I am so-and-so, I work here, I wanna do this so that I can do that. So that's sort of the algorithm. You create, create a bunch of these user stories or customer stories like that. And then you identify your customer's needs, wants. So what would they pay for? What would they not pay for? What would they do themselves? What do they not do themselves? What is success look like to these to these uh, businesses and so on and so forth. And you create a profile. Well, then you match that up. You're supposed to match that up with your sales strategy. So your, your whole go-to-market strategy aligns with the product that you've now aligned to a specific customer. 
So we did that and it turned out that the product wasn't being bought by those customers, mm. right? Because he was on his own path. So I had to go back as an investor, unfortunately, and sort of drop the hammer on the guy and say, look, you're not responsible for product anymore and bring in a product person that was focused on the, the, the desired outcome. And one of the rules of boss is, you know, focus on the principle, not your position. Mm -hmm. This is extremely important. The principle of the issue, it doesn't matter whose idea is or how you get there or whatever. It only, it only matters if you're focusing on the principle, what you're trying to accomplish. You know, and obstacles are the things you see when you take your mind off the goal. And sometimes people take their mind off the goal, like you said earlier, because they have shiny object syndrome and then they create obstacles. Yeah. You know, so. Well, I think the two, the curse of the entrepreneur, at least I think really good ones that are, you know, classic visionary types is that uh, you got to, you, you, you're passionate about your ideas, whether they're good or bad, you know, a lot of times. And so you, they're the shiny objects and it shows up because you see something and you're like, I can make that work better than anybody else. And you, and you yeah. want to go do that because it's ingrained in you. And so sometimes I think a really, really uh, helpful piece of part of that is that someone else has to be there going, that's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. but you, you need the driver because if you never stepped out, if you never step out of bounds, if you always stay within the lines and do what everybody else is doing, like it's really hard to get somebody to, uh, you know, to, to get that, that further I don't know how to say it, you know, like to have that, yeah, I totally to have that progress, to make that progress, to get out there, you have to push harder than other people do. And so, um, you, you know, know, it's, it's hard to turn it on. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. And this conversation is, it's funny. I was at the grocery store, uh, during this COVID-19 thing. Right. And the aisles are just empty and, you know, I'm walking around and I'm thinking to myself, the products that are left on the shelf right now, <laughs> somebody from those companies should be walking around saying we need to stop making those products. <laughs> right. If you've got everybody around you's shelves are empty and your shelf is full, yeah. you probably have a bad, bad product person, right? So <laughs> something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. Cause it's uh, it, it is weird walking around and seeing like an entire empty shelf of stuff, you know? Yeah. And then you see one shelf with like fully packed and you're like, you know, maybe it's a canned food and you're like, well, that's a failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were laughing because uh, we walked by and we're like, oh, the whole vitamin aisle was full. And we're like, Ugh. <laughs> 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 hello, people. Yeah, people are fighting over Fritos, but the whole vitamin aisle is just packed full. Of toilet stuff. paper, toilet yeah, paper exactly. sold out for the next 10 years and all the vitamins are full. Well, that's a great thing, though, too, because like, you know what I noticed? I had uh, um, somebody came up with a, an attachable bidet. And it was in my Facebook feed. And I was like, this guy's marketing is on. Yep. And he's selling the hell out of those things. Oh, he's made a fortune. He just made my a fortune. My daughter bought one. I was Dude. like, what? <laughs> yeah. That thing popped up in my Facebook feed. And I was like, I just saw it. I go, that guy. Oh, what, what, what a way to guy. strike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that I look at products as, you know, so I invest in things that are what I call an inch wide and a mile deep. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it, a, if you take something that's like a narrow thing and you stretch it out and make it wider, it naturally goes up. Yeah. So you have a mile wide inch deep opportunity. If you have an inch wide mile deep opportunity, it's going to be deeper. Now why? Because competition, the bigger that gap gets, the narrower the opportunity gets because there's competition. People see it, mm -hmm. right? It shows up on their radar. 
versus something that's an inch wide and a mile deep, everybody's going over it because everybody's racing to the mile wide opportunities. Mm. Do you think those too, that, that helps the customer identify what you do? What's that? Sorry. That helps the customer identify what you do. Yeah. What you're, what you're good. What, what do I go to you for? And that's that yeah. thing. This is, you're the king. You're the category king of this thing. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, so I look and, for entrepreneurs yeah. that like, I would advise an entrepreneur that if you have a deep subject matter expertise, what I call an SME, a subject matter expert, right? If you're an SME in a certain category, find the problems in that category. Mm. Don't look outside. Everybody does this, but all the really successful businesses that I've built and sold and participated in as an investor had a subject matter expertise. And they're the only ones that can see down that inch wide mile deep Canyon to see the problems that need to be solved. Mm. Right. And problems are opportunities. The wide ones are the problems that everybody sees. And so everybody's solving them. And so there's a lot of competition, but the really narrow stuff in these days, there's not a lot of the big stuff left. Yeah. You have to do very narrow things. And I'll give you an example. So the, the business that I sold a few months ago was in the transit space. And these two guys that were consultants in transit, so this is buses and trains and ferries, right? Public transportation. They were in this space and all of these transit agencies, the places that power these things, were trying to figure out how to solve a problem where people could use their iPhone to pay or pay on the cloud or whatever. And everybody was using magnetic strips where the data is saved on the magnet. So you had to ride a bus to go charge your card to ride a bus, mm. right? And so this is a totally inefficient process. So these guys figured out a way to, to uh, build a little reader that went on the bus that replaced what was there. They still have the money, you know, the cash thing, but that thing was there. And then people could just recharge their card on their phone or just pay with their Apple Pay when they get on the bus which also provided a lot of data to the bus agencies. So they knew where people were getting on and where people were getting off and what size of a bus and where the crowded times were. And they didn't have any of this data before. Mm. And those guys would only have known about that if, because they were in the industry for many years yeah. and they knew the problem. And then they had the guts to go out and solve that particular problem. And so <clears throat> that's exactly what I'm talking about. I have another one where, this guy, this young guy, really smart, was going to school and he was doing a double major. And he's from a family of physicians. So he was going to medical school and he was also going to uh, technology, you know, to do a, a science, a master of computer science. And he was really into gaming, like super into gaming. So what he did is he built using gaming software and gaming hardware built a, uh, using that software, built a program that took data from CAT scans and displayed it inside of gaming software. And he rewrote it. So now the clarity is a hundred times better because the clarity of video games is so precise. So he can now look at a CAT scan and drill in and out and see the entire body and point out tumors and stuff that they could never see before. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. And so this is a guy who, you know, was knew about the medical problem because he was going to school for that. And they were like, yeah, he asked the simple question. Why can't they find the tumor earlier? Well, because technology doesn't see it. Why does the technology not see it? Because it's not fast enough and it doesn't have the, the, the clarity. And then he said, well, video games are really clear and they're fast <laughs> enough. Why can't we use video game software and hardware over here? 
and nobody had thought up the idea. So this is the kind like, of thing. be quiet, dummy Johnny. That's how not how this whole thing works. And he's like, yeah. okay, watch this. <laughs> yeah, because you they made can't. fun of Why? him. Yeah, because you can't. What do you mean I can't? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, and right? now he's in yeah. all these hospitals, and the thing is taking off. And you know, he's just a young guy. He bootstrapped it all by himself. You know, and it's it's just a beautiful thing. You know. I've saving got another one. Too. Probably saving, saving lives and, and frustration and headaches and family conversations and insurance. I mean, you know, it goes yeah, down you the can line, see right? These yeah. things before anything that's out there. See, and these yeah. normally it costs 250000 a month for their software. This guy's charging like five grand. So it's also reducing the cost. Yeah. Right. And that cost will translate to some profit for the hospitals, unfortunately. His goal was to lower the cost of the, to the, to the patient, mm-hmm. which it, it does do also. And so, I mean, that's an example. I have another one that's really cool too. This guy was in legislation, right? So in politics, legislators, they're the ones that make the laws. And so they have all this fragmented, really horrible software for making laws. So think about like word for windows, but really on steroids with like comments and who said what and when it has to library everything. It's a very, so they were using like word for windows and these hacked up processes. And this guy as a legislator said, this is horrible. We need something better and made software. And now he's selling the software to all these local and federal governments all over the world. Right. That's it's three guys, three guys, one guy that came up with the idea, two engineers, you know, and they built this software. And that's another one of my deals, right? That's that situation where that guy would have, nobody would have possibly known about this whole nightmare even taking place unless you were in the center of it. So for the entrepreneurs listening if you are in the middle of something and you see a problem and the people around you don't see the problem, that is an opportunity yelling in your ear. You know, it's screaming in your ear. Those are the ones that work. That's awesome. And so I guess uh, my question for you then is how do you, how do you pick who you want to work with? So if you're getting, you know, I know you must be getting bombarded with opportunities because everyone's got an idea, but how do you decide, how, how do you decide what horse to bet on and what jockey to train? So <clears throat> I'll answer the, the latter question first. Um, the, the entrepreneur has to be humble and open-minded, right? If they sound too arrogant or know-it-all, I'm immediately not involved, right? They have to be very humble. Um, they can't be married to their idea. They have to be married to the outcome of their idea, meaning, you know, it's not this way of getting it done. It's whatever way that is going to be the most successful way of getting it done, right? And so there has to be a lot of openness there and willingness to learn. Um, so that's really what I look for in an entrepreneur, right? And I do a lot of questions and answers and, you know, I have very targeted questions to figure out how, how they think mm-hmm. and if they're open-minded. Um, because I put a lot of energy into these people. I spent a lot of time, my, my, me, myself, and my team working with these entrepreneurs. So, you know, it's, it's like free education for them. I get a thousand dollars an hour to train somebody. So when I invest in the company, I do it for free. It's like, you know, I want to make sure they're paying attention, not to mention that I have money in the deal. Right. Um, So that's what I look for in the entrepreneur uh, and passion. And basically I have what I call a handful, right? You need a handful of things, five things, five fingers, right? Focus, drive, enthusiasm, discipline, and optimism. If I can find those things in somebody, the rest I can teach. As far as the, uh, the, the horse itself, that goes back to what I was talking about before, right? Which is inch wide, mile deep, subject matter expertise, 
that sort of stuff, right? That's how I, I find those. You know, it's very interesting when you're in the space, you know, over the last, you know, few weeks, there's been a surge of uh, work at home educational software, you know? And oh, it's, yeah. yeah, a ton of them. <laughs> um, and, and I think that stuff is really, really cool. So I'm watching, right? I'm like, okay, is this, you know, what is, you know, what are we looking? Is this a trend? Is this like, how is this going to pan out? So you kind of pay attention. I don't usually invest in big trending things. So if I get, you know, 10 deals all on educational software, I see that, okay, that's competitive. That's not inch wide, mile deep. That is a uh, inch deep, mile wide opportunity that's growing in that segment. Everybody else can have that one, right? But I find that one like that, that, that uh, kid that took the video game software and made it so that you could uh, see x-rays and stuff, right? That, that I'm like, okay, now that one I'm interested in, you know? Is, is that, is that part of that? Because um, when we talked earlier that you, it's, it's hard to come up with an exit if everybody's doing it and there's nothing to it. Like, you know, like if you're looking at something and saying, okay, I've got a software, this is what we do. And there's one or two other places maybe that do something like this, but not as well. But if there's a thousand of them, it's very difficult to exit to see who the winners are to determine who the winners are going to be. Yeah. You I mean, one of the things you look for is the barrier to entry, mm -hmm. you know, is there a moat or some barrier to entry for somebody else to come in and, and steal your cheese, you know? So if you, when you look at these businesses, you, you know, the reason why I try to sell them in three years is because in software, it takes about three years for somebody to catch up to you, yeah. even if you've been doing it for 10 years, right? It's easier to follow somebody that's blazed a path than blaze the path yourself and they move faster. So when More those resources move faster and yeah, well, so, I mean, yeah. they can use you in it, right? You can go to an investor and say, Hey, look at these guys. Yeah. And you're investing in this. You missed that opportunity. Now you can invest in this opportunity. Yeah. I don't fall for that. Right. I'm sitting there going, yeah, well you, you, you will catch up with them and you will go with it. But you know what, because you're doing that, it tells me there's probably five, 10 other people doing the same thing. We just don't know who they are yet. Yeah. Right. And, and that is where the opportunity that is an inch wide mile deep starts to narrow. Right. It starts to, the gap gets bigger, but it starts to narrow in terms of its depth. It starts to get shallower and shallower as, as more competitors. And now you don't have a barrier to enter anymore. I would imagine it raises your risk profile because you're basically, it's like scratch off, you know, there's, there's 10, there's 10 runners and one of them's going to win. You just got to figure out which one it is, which is very difficult because yeah. you're trying to decide what the market's going to figure out for you as opposed yeah. to saying, okay, this is my market. This is how we're going to dominate this thing. Yeah. And first mover, you know, people say, Oh, first mover opportunity, first mover. You know what? I got to tell you a lot of times it's not the first mover. It's the second mover. I call it the second mover. Look back. I mean, yeah. Google wasn't there first. Yeah. And Facebook wasn't there first and Apple and Microsoft, look at that scenario and Amazon and you could go on and on and on. Right. Yeah. It's not the first move. The first mover has a temporary advantage, but most of the time they lose that advantage advantage to the second mover. Most of the time, even look at Uber and Lyft, right? It's the second mover that catches up and passes up the first mover mm. because the first mover is burdened by the first mover syndrome, right? blazing the trail and cutting down trees and everything to make a path slows you down. The second guy's just right behind you the whole time. As soon as that pathway opens up or they become strong enough to build an army, they pass you and they blaze the trail and you're left in their dust. Hmm. So I don't, 
I don't like to be in that scenario. So I go into spaces where the, where the, uh, the obstacles, you know, the, the barrier to entry obstacles are so big that you don't have to worry about anybody coming up behind you. Like, so for an, for example, you know, the one that I was talking about earlier where you have the, the, the guys that did the transit, right? I mean, first of all, the first obstacle is people even seeing it in the first place. Yeah. Right. So you have that. And then you have the second obstacle and the second obstacle is who's got the expertise to do something with this thing. Right. And then the fourth obstacle or the third obstacle is, you know, why would somebody even see this as an opportunity? Mm-hmm. It seems so small, you know, why would somebody go after it? Um, and so that's, that's an example with the, I can give you many, many examples like that software for government legislation. I mean, these guys, I mean, they saw something, I mean, how many legislators are going to step out of politics and say, oh, I'm going to build software, which means nobody else would have seen it in the first place. And those that have seen it and, and have it as a problem have just uh, consumed the problem and said, that's just how it is. Right? So, <laughs> Man, you hit so many of my favorites. <laughs> it cracks me up, you know, is <laughs> why do we do it this way? That's the way we've always done it. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the way it is. You know, and it's like, whenever I hear that, you know, and I ask questions like inside, as a, as a business operator, I would say, well, why, why, you know, what's frustrating for you? Well, doing this is frustrating. Well, why do you do it that way? That's the way we've always done it. Hair on the back of my neck. Yeah. You know, you're just like, like, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> like, man? Like, we're all, that means we're all agreeing to do something bad. Dumb. Yeah. You know, like we're all agreeing a bad way to do something and we yeah. keep doing it that way because we just don't want to take the time to think. A little so that, so to back that to what we were talking about earlier, you'll be fascinated yeah. by this. You know, the standardization fourth phase of boss allows you to standardize how you're doing things. The fifth phase of boss is the Kaizen loop. Kaizen, it means continuous improvement in Japanese. And so what you do is you go through the best practices. You review how you do things to find efficiencies. And you basically loop back through over and over after that. I was able to drop, I mean, I, you know, I have so many stories on this. I, you know, it's, it's crazy, but you know, you don't get four private equity awards for transactions, you know, from 500 million to a billion or five or 250 to a billion and write for entrepreneur Forbes, Fortune, all those places and have a book by Forbes, unless you found something, right. Which honestly, I, didn't believe for a very long time. You know, I was just sort of like, I was sort of like, man, because I, I honestly don't, don't think of myself as being any, uh, anybody special. You know, I just think that I have, um, I found a, a problem like any other entrepreneur that I think I can solve to help, you know, humanity, you know, the, the planet and everything on it, not just human beings. Right. And, um, and, and, and just did something about it, you know, not, you know, pure altruistically, right? I, I'm not trying to make any money here. You know, Boss Capital came, uh, it, I make money through Boss Capital because I invest in companies and they sell and so on. But that was only because I needed to, you know, these exceptional entrepreneurs where I was like, like that x-ray guy, you know, where I'm like, man, this thing needs to be built. Like yeah. this needs to be done, yeah. you know? And cause both my parents died of cancer because they couldn't detect it, you know? And I was like, this, this has to be done. And that, you know, without having boss capital, it would be really difficult for me to have to, to get, you know, to get somebody around to funding. Well, you also talk about speed, right? So, you know, when something is there, 
you're not now finding somebody like this and then turning around and having to go to all the meetings and the pitch decks and all that stuff to, because you've got the capital arm, right? Is that kind of the, yeah. So is, is basically, this, is yeah, we even see the winners and then pick it, you know, and go. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'll see like a thousand, probably pick one out of a thousand. Yeah. And, but the investors, cause it used to be me and one other guy. Now there's 27 investors, right? I have five billionaires and these people are like personal relationships and we're very, very, very picky about the investors that we allow to come in. Mm-hmm. Like it is not, it, it's a very strenuous process to even become an investor with us. It's equally as strenuous as it is to become an entrepreneur that we invest in. Mm. And, and because of that, what we do is to not burden the entrepreneur. I mean, entrepreneurs spend 46, 40 to 70% of their time raising capital. So <clears throat> what we do is if I choose the deal, I raise capital for them. I pitch the entrepreneur. They don't even have to deal with it. Right. We do their board decks. I talk to the investors. So all the board decks, the investors, the updates, everything, raising funds is handled for them so they can focus on their business. Right. So it makes, yeah. So, (laughs) you know, they come to us and all rounds, everything's handled. I can keep that entrepreneur focused where I need them to be, Yeah, you know, and you can't do that unless you've, you've, you know, built a, a, a legacy, I guess, you know, of succeeding. I haven't failed. So Um, you know, all my deals exit and everybody makes, you know, two to five X in three years. It's like incredible. Um, But, you know, we don't do that many deals and the deals we do do, we put a tremendous amount of energy into, you know, so, you know, it's uh, I think investors, you know, this probably piss off a lot of investors, but I think a lot of investors, they think of investing in businesses as, you know, sort of like if you buy a rental property and then you put somebody in it or, you know, you buy stocks and you go into the market. It's not that way. These are these private equity investments. You have to really get involved. You have to help them. You will lose your money unless you get in there and help them make it work. I mean, there's one thing choosing the right deal. It's a whole nother thing to make that deal, write it out to an exit. I, I built boss to help with that tail. You know, if you choose the right deal at the right stage and you use boss, it's so open and customizable, then, you know, the track record says that, you know, you will be successful. If you so, don't, you will fail. Might be one, you know, nine out of 10. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. can you bring that? If, I mean, if you're not the investor, can you use this program for yourself? If you're the entrepreneur or if you're going into be an entrepreneur as a pre-stage business planning? It's crazy because, yes, and it's crazy because I've used it to run a marathon. Um, I rode a bicycle from uh, San Francisco to L.A., which is 525 miles, and I'm 51 years old. I have asthma, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy, right? <clears throat> and, you know, I'm like 250 pounds. This is friggin' hard for a guy like me, and I did that using <laughs> I feel you. I feel you, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I did that using boss. You know, I helped congressmen and congresswomen get elected using boss. So yes, you can use it. In fact, I taught a class about six months ago for a large female group of young uh, business owners to create dream boards. And uh, I put the boss framework into their session. And uh, you know, I I just in time, which is a foster children thing. You know, I donate time to them and. I've taught it to the Navy SEALs and fighter pilots and, you know, I mean, it really does work. It, it's, you got to go to the website cause it's, you know, yeah. we don't have enough time to talk through it and I don't really want to yeah. 
<laughs> I'm not trying to plug it, but I, at the same time, it's like, I really, that's what we're here for, man. We want to learn from people like you. That's the thing that people don't understand is that like you, what you talked about earlier is you're bringing the expertise. It's not, it's not how smart you are or how not smart you are as a person that out there to be successful, but that there's a pathway to do these things. And then expertise comes a lot. And so that's why, I mean, we're talking about this stuff. So, I mean, I, I fully appreciate you doing that. Yeah. I've spent 25 years trying to solve this problem of, you know, the failure rate of entrepreneurs. And, um, <clears throat> and so I'm trying to give that away. Yeah. <laughs> you know? super cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny thing because it's almost a, uh, it's almost a catch 22 because you've got, you're solving a problem for people who think they can solve all the problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> and that's, and, 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 you know, we, we did something similar on that. We put in an, uh, an operating system in our business and took off and that's what made us sellable. Yeah. Uh, and it really was because, uh, the same company that bought us came in the year before and, uh, and they walked away and they said, you're not ready. We're like, what do you mean we're not ready? How can that be? You know, and we went back to the drawing board and we did all these things and we had to be, you mentioned a good word earlier, humble. Um, and we had to start from the bottom and go back through because See, that's exactly to, what I was just talking about earlier. <laughs> right. Had, and we, and we found exactly what I was saying. I've heard that 1200 times. Oh, the stuff we found, one. the stuff yeah. we found was embarrassing. I yeah. mean, for as, as a be the owner, like we were, we had our heads so far in the sand. It felt yeah. like, because it was like, and you were like, wait, why are we doing this? And it's like, you know, like I said, that's where that, I used to laugh at that conversation and be like, well, that's the way we've always done it. That's the way you guys, that's the way they want it. I'm like, who's they? <laughs> I'm yeah. like, we own the company. Like we're here every day working. I work 70 plus hours a week. Like, I don't want you to do it this way. Who is yeah. they? Yeah. You know, and it's like this boogeyman that people have that they just assume that the managers don't care or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, so we're like, okay. So if you were king for the way, how would you do it? And so then we started doing KPIs of important things that were important to each part of people's business. And they had to bring it to us instead of us telling them their numbers constantly. And then we, we should do like things. a, dude, yeah. we should do a webcast where I walk people through what boss is and how it works. I'd love to do that. Because that yeah. I'd be, be, be happy to, I mean, I do it for the universities and, yeah. you know, I do it all, all the time and it, you know, it really is impactful i think that you and your people would be like holy smokes like this is yeah I know, cool. i'm in a large group of entrepreneurs that i know off the top of my head that would be like it would it would be extremely helpful because a lot of them are in the in the internet marketing space and yeah. they're um and they're in solopreneurs or they're in small level businesses of five to ten people and so yeah. i end up coaching a lot because i'm in there and i'm like well no like you're it's kind of it's probably what you see a lot like they're really really good at what they do but they don't understand that like the business is totally different, you know, and yeah. if you have to, and I try to tell them and say, listen, if you know what you're going to do with your business, cause there's only like really three outcomes, you're going to leave it to somebody and you're going to have a job and then you're going to, or you're going to fail or you're going to sell it. Like mm -hmm. if once you determine what you're going to do, like if you don't think of it in those terms, like, like you kind of laid out, like you have to start with a goal of what you want to mm -hmm. get to. How do you get there? You back into it. And then you become small bites that do big leaps in my mind. Right. Yeah, man. I built a framework for all this stuff. Like, <laughs> That's I mean, so cool. 25 years, you know, <laughs> and I studied six Sigma and I studied 40 X and OGSM and lean and agile. And I mean, every, all of them, 
for years traction. i became a well, you, scholar we, in them yeah we, we we went through like a track we went through traction is what we yeah traction as, yeah the, the, the yeah. eos the you know and that was yeah and so. they all share some commonalities yeah. the problem is is that and they are good right and i use different aspects of a mix of them in yeah. boss but they're very stage appropriate yeah like it, it's you can't install well, I, mm, yeah you know what i mean it's oh really no, no i know exactly what you mean because i try to tell I, I talk to these entrepreneurs and they've got five employees and i'm like you can't use traction like yeah you need, you need department heads like you need you know you can't have, have a, 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 a meeting talking about your teams when you don't have teams like you can't do right yeah. person wrong seat if you don't have seats like you you need to have something to where your size is so that you can get to the next thing because the problems of a zero to hundred thousand dollar entrepreneur are way different than a hundred thousand to 250 or 500, 500 to a million. And once you get over a million and to five, 10 million, all the problems change. Like they're yeah. just completely different problems. And you, it's uh, you, it's, I want to say self-sabotage, but like your company eats itself from within. If you don't know the stages of those problems. Yeah. You know, and it's very yeah, frustrating. Yeah. That's why most businesses don't get there. Yeah. Well, they, they implode yeah, or they what, explode, yeah. you know? Um, but you know, you get into growth before you're ready for growth. It'll put you out of business. Well, know? the same thing, like we found, like, uh, we had, a, the head of our accounting team was great from five to 10, 12, $15 million. We hit $27 million and she was on a nervous breakdown and losing yeah. her mind. And we were, we didn't realize how bad her processes were because we never had a problem and she was just growing with us. Right? Yeah, boss. I include yeah. in boss financial statements mm -hmm. specifically built for businesses. So it's got it takes your P and L and your balance sheet and it puts it into value drivers, wow. and then it it has plan actual better or worse drivers so that you can see how to run your business financially. So oh, I can't even tell I mean, you. I've got, like, as a financial yeah, got, guy, that like lights me up because before my life is in the middle of my life is entrepreneurship, and these and all these companies I started and failed at and did everything. I was a commercial banker for three years from 08 to 2010, right? It was the worst time ever. But I, yeah. the one thing, <laughs> the one That's thing. The, that is the worst possible time. Literally, yeah. I think that, but, I, but I will say this. I did it strategically for one because I knew how to ring the bell. I knew how to make money, but I had no idea how to run a company. And I figured that yeah. out real quick in 08. Um, and so, um, but I tell you that because when people ask me what kind of business they should go into, I was like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, what do you mean? Because I had 275 companies and they went down to 75 in my portfolio. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. I was like, I was like, I know within five minutes whether that company's gonna go out of business in the next year or not. And they're like, how? I'm like, they just know their numbers. I go, if I ask you questions on your numbers and they know their numbers, I was like, I'm like 90% okay as a banker, you know, with my loans. And I'm like, if I say, well, what are your numbers this month versus last month? And you go, well, let me call my CPA and have them send you over my P&Ls. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, it's 90% the other way. And so mm -hmm. that's amazing. That, and it, as we kind of grew, and we, we, you know, we had all these Omega trainings and stuff. And so, like, we started looking at, you know, actual usable numbers. And I would say probably the percentage of entrepreneurs that know the, that the balance sheet is where a lot of the key is in the, in the success rate of the company as well. Um, you know, margin and balance sheets, I would say are probably the two highest things that you can work on to affect the company. Um, that, that's, fantastic. I layer it, right? So yeah. I look at the, I look, all businesses to me have four functional areas. Everybody loves right. revenue, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not always the answer. No, I, I, no, I, I say that jokingly right because everybody yeah. wants to talk about it. It's, you know, it's like the whole drive for show, putt for dough type of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, everybody wants to talk about like, 
oh, I'm a million dollar a year business. And they're like, did you spend 995,000 or spend a million two to do it? You know? It's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, when, so when I sold to eBay, uh, I sold the first business to eBay and that was part of a carve out. We bought 14 companies and then we sold 12 and then we bought another one of my companies and another company. And then we rolled all those up into one company. And in that situation, I was able to see the, uh, <clears throat> the effects of a business that didn't have a, a culture of mm -hmm. process. Right. And it was, I mean, it was very, very difficult. It took three years to get that thing on the right track. And, you know, the, the bankers involved, you know, the, the people that were financing it, they said to me, we want the minnow to swallow the whale because I mean, this was a huge company. I only had like 150, 200, I think I had 217 employees at that time in four, five countries. Mm. And, you know, this is eBay. I mean, it's monster, right? Yeah. Um, and so when we did the carve out at the end of it, I think we ended up with like 670 employees. Um, and plus all of mine and the other companies, I mean, it was huge. And we had to do four different reductions in force and sort of, I came on as the chief strategy officer to, to sort of fix the company and direct it, you know, put it in the right direction. And then once that was done, uh, I realized we had to rebuild the tech stack. So then I became the CTO for the company and helped redo the entire tech stack. And then uh, one, it was all set and ready to go and it was running good. They hired in a CEO and then I was able to step out of just as an advisor. Um, and that was a lesson in what happens when you don't have the right, you know, process and procedures, when you don't have, you know, a framework uh, that everybody knows really well and everybody works within. And then when I went out and started doing all these interviews with the Navy SEALs and, you know, the first fighting wing of the Air Force is like the Navy SEALs of the sky and all these guys, and, you know, they live on that. They couldn't even function without that, right? And so you wonder how, you know, the military can build a bridge over a massive canyon in 24 hours and set up a big giant hospital in, you know, 24 hours. You know, that's because these people have everything dialed. It's mm. dialed. What's the difference between military and a business? Not much, really. They both have a mission objectives. They both have, you know, a target and they have a separation between strategic and tactical <clears throat> and they're both going towards something that they have to accomplish. And that something is very well defined, like your North Star would be in a business, right? So you can see why these people fail, right? So if you were to just take a military operation and a business, and you were to launch the two of them at the same time, two of each at the same time, one with and one without processes, and you watch what happens. Mm. I mean, it's pretty common sense, right? I mean, you're just sitting there going, well, of course. <laughs> right. So if you're an entrepreneur out there and you, and you, you know, you're sitting there ready, fire, aim, instead of ready, aim, fire, you know, the high probability you're going to miss the target. Yeah. You know, so, you know. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. Hey, I want to be respectful in time. And I know, uh, I think you and I can probably talk for several more hours and not skip a beat, man. This is awesome. So I'm, I'm really enjoying, uh, learning what you're doing with that. Um, so we talked a lot about, um, you know, your, your boss system, um, the business operating support system. And so, and how it's applicable to a lot of different places. If people want to learn about where to, you know, how, how do they find out more about this? Cause it, go to Gregory shepherd.com. 
Perfect. And like I have a page there. What I did is I tried to build the information. So however you want to consume it, you can read it, you can watch a video, you can listen to a podcast, you know, you can watch other speaking events I've done. I mean, I've got, you know, it's all there, you know, and if That's it's awesome. not, let me know. Yeah. Like, go to the contact form, fill something out and say, Hey, I could use it like this. Uh, my LinkedIn, uh, I've got like 21,000 people in my LinkedIn and then I've got the Instagram and all that stuff and all that content. Every time I do something, it's put out there. Right? Yeah. Every time a journalist writes something or I write an article or do a video or whatever, I push it out to people so that they can learn like this video will be pushed out to my audience of, I don't even know how many hundreds of thousands of people, but they'll, they'll see it and then hopefully they can learn. So to your listeners, go there because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help you, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, no, listen, there's one thing that people don't realize is that uh, you got to sharpen the saw, right? So you got to take the time to step back and take a little bit of a get off the front line and say, okay, look, you know, there's somebody out there that's probably run a business better than I have, right? And that's that humbleness we talked about earlier. And when you do that, and you say, okay, wait, let me go through a process like this and start at the beginning, you will find that you are so much more experienced now in your business that when you set the processes up that maybe aren't that important to you now are huge back now when you come back through have big ramifications. At least that's what we found in quite a few times. So yeah, totally. Yeah. I you mean, know. you know, there's that saying, right? If I'm going to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend 50% of my time sharpening the saw. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's uh, you can't, you can't be driving down the highway and say like, I don't have time to stop for gas, right? That gas is where you go back and you re look through your company and you make sure the processes are there. You read the emails that are going out. If you do an email sequence, you listen, you call in like a customer. If you have a call, if you have a place that people call into, call in and go through your customer's experience. And you know what? Like you said, um, that I found really, really uh, encouraging is that you reached out to the customers to find out what they wanted, what you were doing well. And that humble is to say, yeah. look, what, are we, what, is, what was really good experience with us and what wasn't? And then if they tell you what wasn't a good experience, is not for you to explain to them why they had the wrong experience. It's for you to figure out how he doesn't have that feeling in the first place. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, Simon Sinek has this thing, start with why. Mm -hmm. As the very beginning of the whole circle, to me, in this side of things, the very beginning of the whole circle is the customer. Mm -hmm. Start with the customer. Yeah. Right? And, and then you build around that. That's ultimately because the money, which is what you're doing it for, is coming from the customer. Right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to also plug something that I think we've done a webcast for COVID-19 to help entrepreneurs mm -hmm. um, get past this. We did a special edition of boss for that. Um, it's gregoryshepherd.com forward slash COVID-19. Yeah. And you can register for that. And maybe, you know, that's helpful. There's tool, we're giving out free tools to help people go through the process. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of businesses are going to fail and I'm trying to help uh, more of them get through this time frame. And if a lot of us pull in the right direction, there will be less that fail because I think we're going to about go through some pretty you know, extraordinary times in business in the next month or two. Um, sure. So, man, I, I really appreciate where your heart's at with that stuff because it's just uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more that, you know, it, if we can be there to provide some help and to do those things that uh, and we all do a little bit of part then at the end, it's a big part. So hopefully it helps. And I'll, uh, I'll make sure that we link up that in the show notes. Um, 
Greg, listen, I've, I've really, really enjoyed speaking with you on this. Um, and I, I know that the audience is, is hopefully going to get uh, some really, really great information on this. I'm going to listen to it a few more times because I was taking notes as we were talking. And, <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> cool. Thank you. What an honor, man. I'm humbled by that. Thank you no, so much. It's, I, I was, you know, you're, you're speaking my language and it's, it's almost like that, uh, you know, you get a reminder sometimes. And, uh, and I was listening to this and I'm thinking about one of my businesses and I'm like, man, I need to go do this again. And I need to go, I'm going to, I'm going to go through your boss system and, and, and apply it. So, uh, I'll oh, do, do it. And then, and then we'll let me do know a round two. <laughs> yeah. And if there are improvements, let me know, you know, absolutely. We'll do a round two and I'll let you know, uh, I'll let you know how we, how we did, because I'm, I'm certain that there's going to be some skeletons in there. So, uh, I'm excited. Do you want to do the, the boss? Do you want to do a webcast for your people, like a special podcast yeah. on it? And, yeah. Okay. I think that would be really right. fun to kind of dive in. Let me, uh, I, I want to go through and, and see where I can, where I can get with it. And then, uh, I'll have some specific questions to come up with when I talk to you. Awesome. It, but. And you know, call me dude, if you have questions or whatever, just say, Hey man, I'm not sure about this. I appreciate you it. Know? That sounds really yeah. cool. The articles uh, too are really important. Like there's a lot of a lot of articles that are, that are published by all these different places where I write a whole article on one little piece, mm -hmm. right? To try to add a lot of color to that. Yeah. And those, those can be helpful as well. That's, that's my, that's a inch, inch wide mile deep, right? On the subject yeah. matter. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to, um, I'm going to stop there. Thank you for listening to another episode of money talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker